beginning. Um, maybe it's a little bit like, you know, if you're in Port Rush for your holidays and you get a stick of Port Rush rock. I don't, do they still sell rock? I don't know. Yeah. And you know, no matter where you break that stick of rock, it says Port Rush all the way through. Uh, and it's something like that with God's word. Wherever you drop in on God's word from first to last, you find the good news of the gospel written there for those with ears to hear. Every page whispers his name, as one children's writer said, uh, obviously talking about Jesus. So uh, we're going to begin our kind of journey uh, through the story of the Bible, and we're going to start in Genesis 3, um, and we're going to drop in, uh, I guess, kind of in the middle of the story, but I'll fill in, fill in the blanks uh, afterwards, but we're going to drop in in Genesis 3 and verse 8, and it'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your own Bible. So Genesis 3, reading from verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you, above all livestock and all wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Uh, and then we get, we're going to jump over a little bit, where we get some more curses relating to childbirth and family and work. And then down to verse 21, where it says this, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's where we're going to end our, our reading this morning. So um, our, our opening scene uh, is this, is a man and a woman hiding behind a tree or among the trees and they are afraid and they are ashamed. Um, and of course, we, we dropped in in the middle of the story, so maybe immediately we ask, well, what has happened that they are hiding, that they are afraid, that they are ashamed? Um, and I want to do a real whirlwind reminder of the story. You, I'm sure you know it pretty well. But what, what is the backstory that led them to that place? Well, it goes something like this, and I'll do this very fast. Um, they were placed, the man and the woman, in a world that was full of good gifts, of 
beauty and blessing and all kinds of good things. They were given great freedom in that world to enjoy the good things that God had made. They were given good work to do, to tend the garden and to care for creation and to name the animals and all the rest. They were given good commands to keep them from harm by a loving God. They were given each other for companionship and partnership and to work together and to enjoy the world together. Uh, And maybe if you were looking for one word to sum up that picture, it would be the word peace, or in Hebrew, shalom, which means well-being. Everything was well uh, on every level, between the humans and creation, between the humans and each other, between the humans and their God. There was peace in that world. But then, um, what happened? There was a snake in the garden. And they listened to the voice of the deceiver uh, saying, did God really say? They listened to that voice, that whisper in their ear. Did God really say? And they doubted God's goodness. And they wanted to be like God and to rule over their own lives. And they rejected God's loving rule over them. They rebelled against them. And they took and they ate. And that peace, that shalom of the garden was fractured and shattered and lost on every level. There was no longer peace between them and creation. Now there was pain and struggle. There was no longer peace between the man and the woman. Now they were blaming each other and conflict began and domineering over each other began. And they're no longer at peace with God. They had walked with God in the garden in harmony, but now they hid from God in fear, this great reversal from walking in love, walking in joy, walking in fellowship, to now being ashamed and afraid and hiding. So the results were catastrophic on every level. The peace of that world was fractured and lost. So you knew that story pretty well. That's how they ended up hiding behind a tree. Um, What if I ask this question? Whose story is this? Maybe immediately we say, well, we know it's Adam and Eve's story. We've heard this story since we were kids. Um, But sometimes we tend to think of this only as a story about something that happened long ago, back at the start of the human story, at the dawn of time. But actually what I want to say to us this morning is, this is our story. This is about you and me. This is about all of us, you and me and our neighbours. We were placed in a world full of good gifts and beauty and blessing, and we were given great freedom uh, to explore that world and enjoy that world, and we were given good work to do and responsibility and things to do, and we were given good commands by a loving God, and we were given each other. But we also listened to the voice of the deceiver, whose tactics haven't really changed very much in a lot of centuries, who still whispers one way or another in our ear, did God really say? And we also doubted God's goodness and wondered maybe was God trying to spoil our fun and limit our freedom? And we also wanted to be like God and rule over our own lives. And so in our own way, we took and we ate. And so the story of Genesis 3 is not just a story about our forefathers. It's a story about us. It holds up a mirror to our human nature, to our human story. We tell this story again and again and again with monotonous regularity in our lives. And like 
for the man and woman in the garden. The shalom of our world has been shattered. We have no peace with creation. And we're very aware of that, maybe more now than, than ever before. We have no peace with each other. And again, you only need to look at the newspapers or look out the window and we see that. And we have no peace with God. You don't have to look very far to see that this story is our story. And in a way, I want to say one of the biggest reasons why the Christian story rings true for me, there are many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is this description of our brokenness in Genesis 3. Um, I know this is not a very kind of clever, sophisticated, intellectual argument for, for the truth of Christianity, but I want to ask you the question, do you not feel it in your bones that this is true, <laughs> that we live in a good world that has gone wrong? It, it doesn't look or feel to me like we live in a world that's entirely good. It doesn't look or feel to me like we live in a world that's entirely bad. It doesn't look or feel to me like we live in a world that just is the way it is and where goodness and badness are not appropriate categories. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. It it feels in my bones, in my soul, like a good world gone wrong. Is there not part of you that kind of groans when you look at the world and says, this is not the way it's supposed to be? And that, I think, is a little echo of the story of Genesis 3. We are homesick for the garden. We have a longing in our souls for the shalom of what God intended. Uh, and if we ask the question, well, who did this to the world? And we all would like to blame somebody else, and maybe we want to blame Adam and Eve. Um, in the story, and I know I, I, I make this joke every time, but I can't resist it. Uh, in the story, Adam, Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the snake, and the snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. But <laughs> we, we read the story, and we want, to, we want to blame Adam and Eve. But actually, we all did this. We all took and ate, or as, the new t- or as other parts of the Bible say, we all, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned to our own way, or we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, the glory of God, the glory of what God created us for. Um, I think our generation, the time that you and I live in, um, is deeply confused about these things and lots of people want to get rid of the idea of sin as kind of old-fashioned and a bit harsh and a bit negative. And we'd rather say people are basically good and most people mean well most of the time, don't they? And then we look around at our world and we find this terrible mess and brokenness and soul sickness. And we wonder, well, how did lots of basically good people doing their best make such a mess of this world. And if there's going to be any healing of our broken world, then first we need an accurate diagnosis of what has gone wrong. And I think Genesis 3 provides that diagnosis. It holds up a mirror to our human predicament. Now, maybe you're thinking, um, that sounds an awful lot, like an awful lot of bad news, and I thought this series was meant to be about good news, so we are coming to that now. <laughs> um, and maybe a good way into that is to uh, if I quote the words of a song that I love uh, by Andrew Peterson. It says, do you feel the world is broken? 
And God's people say, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? God's people say, from the depths of our spirit, we do. Um, And I want to say, even here in Genesis 3, which is maybe one of the darkest stories in the Bible, the light still breaks through. And even here in Genesis 3, the gospel is present for those with ears to hear. And I want to, I want to just now pay attention to, there are three little moments in the story that we read where I think the light of the gospel of the good news of great joy breaks through. And maybe you noticed them already as we read, but I want to just drop in on each of them with you. First of all, God is looking for you. That's the first little bit of good news. God doesn't leave the man and woman in the story to their self-inflicted mess. He doesn't leave them to try and fix things or find their way back to him. He comes looking for them. And he asks that beautiful, poignant question, where are you? And I think that lies at the very heart of the good news that I want to um, proclaim to you this morning um, on the authority of God's word. Whatever wrong turns you've taken in your life, whatever foolish choices you might have made that you might be ashamed of this morning, whatever mess you might have created for yourself and for others, God has not given up on you. God is looking for you this morning and he's asking, where are you? Um, I don't know, uh, those of you here in the Sandal Centre, those of you uh, listening in at home, I don't know where you are in relation to God this morning. Uh, maybe some of you, uh, if you're being honest, you're hiding from him and you're afraid and you're ashamed or maybe you're angry with God or maybe you're disappointed with God or maybe you're running the other way. Uh, maybe you're shaking a fist in defiance or maybe you aren't even quite sure if he's there. But I want you to know this morning that God is looking for you. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you as he walked with the man and woman in the garden. And he's asking, where are you? And the very best thing you could do this morning is to come out from behind your tree. And I don't know what the tree is for you that you hide behind. And stop hiding and stop running and let yourself be found. And one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible that lots of characters use all the way through is they they come before God and they simply say, here I am. I think that's the best response you can make to the question, where are you? <laughs> Say, here I am. Right? And that, that could be a beautiful, powerful thing, uh, the best thing that you could do this morning. So that's the first little bit of good news in the story, that God is looking for you wherever you are this morning in relation to God. He is searching and looking and seeking after you. Um, the second bit of good news is this. That in this story, God promises that he will send someone to crush the head of the serpent. This strange promise that appears in verse 15 about enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. Um, I don't think it's just about the fact that humans and snakes are not going to like each other very much. That's probably 
largely true that my brother and I used to have a couple in our bedroom when we were growing up. Um, but it's a much deeper, more powerful promise than that. The offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. There's going to be born into this world a human child born of a woman in the normal way who will defeat the powers of evil and darkness once and for all. Um, if you if you go later on, you can have a look uh, to the other end of your Bible and to the book of Revelation and Revelation 12. There's a, a strange and beautiful vision there where you read about a child being born to a woman. Um, and as a result of the child being born to the woman, it says there is war in heaven. And then we come to these words. It says the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So there's bracketed in Genesis and Revelation. We get the same thing repeated, that somehow a child born to a woman is going to defeat and destroy the power of the serpent, of the dragon, of uh, of evil in our world. Um, I don't think you need me uh, to tell you the name of the child born of the woman, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> um, his name is Jesus. Why, If you and I ask, why did Jesus come into the world? There's lots of ways we could answer it. Uh, but one of Jesus' disciples, John, writing in 1 John 3, said this, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It's not quite a statement. Why, did, why was Jesus born and laid in a manger? Why did he live the life he lived? Why did he die the death he died and rise again? To destroy the work of the devil. Um, or as one of our Christmas songs says, it's not too early, is it? Um, to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. It's good news of great joy this morning. That there is one who has been born into our world, uh, born of a woman, born as a little child, but he came to destroy the powers of evil once and for all. And maybe this morning you are very aware of the snake in the garden. Maybe you're feeling this morning intimidated and overwhelmed by the evil and darkness that's in the world that you see in the paper or in the news or in the lives of people you love or even encroaching on your own family and your own life. And maybe you feel at times like the darkness is winning. Um, and if that's how you're feeling this morning, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. He has come to crush the head of the serpent and he has already struck the decisive blow at the cross. Do you remember as Jesus was going to the cross, he said, now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's already struck the decisive blow. Our enemy has been defeated and he's still thrashing around and causing hurt and harm in the world. But that is only his death throes. He knows that his time is numbered and limited. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't be intimidated by the power of evil in our world because that little child born in the manger, that man on the cross has come to crush the head of the serpent and that victory can be yours in your life as you follow him and as you trust him. That's a lot of good news already, right? Uh, right there in Genesis 3. But here's a little bit more. Um, right at the end of what we read, we discover that God clothes us and takes away our shame. 
In the story, the man and the woman tried to cover their own shame with fig leaves and so on, uh, but it didn't work and they still felt afraid and ashamed and they still hide from God. But then comes this extraordinary surprising moment when it says that God clothed them. And maybe it comes as a, as a surprise because in this story, uh, it's a story very much of God's judgment and we're discovering that their sin has consequences which can't be easily undone and they're going to be banished from the garden of God's presence and they're going to live east of Eden. And yet, right in the middle of that story of disaster and judgment, there's this little moment of, I think, just incredible kindness and tender mercy where God clothes them and covers their shame. And I think it's a little hint that shows us where the story is heading, that the curse of Genesis 3 is not the end of the story and the banishment from the garden is not the end of the story, that God's heart and God's desire and God's intention is to clothe us and take away our shame. And I think that's as beautiful a picture of the gospel uh, as we ever find. Um, in the story, God covers them with animal skins. And there's something important there, I think, written between the lines. It's not spelled out. But we know that an animal had to die and blood had to be spilled for those coverings to be made. There's a cost to this covering, to this act of mercy and kindness. And again, I wonder, can you see how this little story is pointing to the bigger one? Uh, when God enters the human story in the person of Jesus and he pours out his blood and he gives his own life so that our shame can be taken away, so we can be clothed by God. Um, what, what is that image of clothing, of God clothing you, say to you as you're listening for the good news? Um, I think it speaks very much of forgiveness, that he takes our sin he takes our shame. Yeah, he gives us robes of righteousness, as it talks about in Isaiah 61. So it speaks very much of him taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. I also think it speaks of something more than that. It speaks of a new identity where he takes away our shame and puts us instead in a place of honor as God's beloved children. Um, maybe the reason I want to sort of underline that this morning is um, I've discovered as I've lived that some people, and, and this can be true of me sometimes as well, um, some people believe that Jesus clothes us with his righteousness. They believe that he has taken our sin and we're forgiven, but they still remain at a deep level, deeply ashamed. They still live with their head down, their head hanging low. Um, as I thought about this image of God clothing us, my mind went to, do you remember the story Jesus told of a young man returning from the far country and he's covered in dust and dirt and pig muck and his head is down and he's ready to go and live in the doghouse of shame. He wants to live as, a, live as a servant in his father's house. But you remember how the story went. His dad runs down the road to meet him and embraces him with tears and says, put my best robe on him. And what does that robe signify? It certainly signifies that he's forgiven. But maybe I want to say it's even better than that. It says that he is loved and delighted in 
and cherished. When the father puts the robe on his son, he's saying, that's my boy. And he wants everyone to know it. This is my son. And he brings him into the house with feasting and dancing and great joy. And so I want to say to you this morning and to me, when Jesus comes and clothes us, it means that we are forgiven, that our guilt is taken away, uh, that we've been given the righteousness of Jesus. And it also means that we are God's beloved children. And so you can lift up your head and live without shame. Um, When the man and woman in the story we read were clothed, um, it was a beautiful moment, but they remained in exile. They remained east of Eden. They remained far from God. But the good news for you and I this morning is much better than that. When Jesus comes and clothes us, it means that our exile is over and we've been restored to fellowship with God and we are welcomed home with great rejoicing as God's beloved children living in the Father's house. So I wonder if I persuaded you that if we listen with our ears wide open, right there in one of the darkest stories in the Bible, we hear the good news that God is looking for us, that he has sent someone to crush the head of the serpent, and that God clothes us in a way that takes away our shame and allows us to lift up our heads and live as the beloved children of God. Um, Let's pray uh, as we uh, just respond to what we've heard this morning, and then we're going to sing together uh, before communion. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray very simply that you would help each of us to know how to respond in our hearts this morning to the good news that we've heard, how to respond in faith to the gospel that we have heard announced. Um, Father, some of us here this morning, if we're honest, we have been hiding from you and running from you. Father, I want to pray this morning we would hear the good news that you are looking for us this morning and we would come out of hiding and say, here I am. Father, some of us here this morning, we've been feeling beaten up and overwhelmed and intimidated by the evil that is in our world and sometimes in our lives. Father, I want to pray, would you help us to hear the good news this morning? that there is one who has come to crush the head of the serpent, that the prince of this world has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross, and that we can live day by day more and more in the reality of that victory as we trust in you. Father, there are some of us here this morning who live our lives with our heads down, feeling deeply ashamed of things that we've done, of things that have happened to us, of failure and all kinds of things in our lives. Father, would you help us this morning to hear the good news that our God at great cost has done everything that needs to be done to take away our shame, to take away our sin, to clothe us with garments of salvation and robes of righteousness and garments of praise and to to have this identity that we are God's beloved children. 
Father, help us this morning to believe the gospel and lift up our heads and walk out of here knowing that we are the children of God. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.